It is ridiculous how much cowboy, every cowboy needs a hat gets stuck in my head. Okay, here we are. We are rolling. I've got my notes pulled up. I've got my opinions on lock. I'm staring at the sun. Oh, don't do that. That's what happens. That's how you go crazy in space. Clearly. Yeah, I mean, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> I understand that. That's probably the most relatable part of this film is like if the sun was within was as close as it could be and I'm just in space and I have a room built for observing the sun, I fucking would. I mean, it's cool. It's like, definitely cool. I get the power of that. Mm-hmm. Searle is probably the most correct character in the movie. Yeah. All right. Hi, babes. We're doing a little uh, little switch this month. I had presented a film to Nicole to cover as a straight horror film, and then she told me I was fucking wrong and then kicked me in the shins and ran away. I've been doing it since I was little. It's because she's shorter than I am. She thinks that's the only thing she can reach, but she's actually quite tall. I'm average size. I'm like 5'6". That's so much taller than average. <laughs> I thought I thought average was 5'4 to 5'6 for women. 5'2". Really? Mm-hmm. I wish I was six feet like my doctor told me I would be. Well, then you'd be my height, and it would be adorable. It would be. Our cuddles would be very, very egalitarian. I would love to be taller. Well, you do wear big shoes. Hence, yes. That's partially why. <laughs> you basically only wear big shoes, so I'm, is what I'm saying. So you're always functionally taller. Oh, I love a platform. They're dope. So this week we are doing Horror or Nah. I am so stoked, even though I hate the title of this show. It's my little baby, and I want, I've want i been wanting to do one for a while, and it's been a minute since we've had one. Hey, you never came up with a better title, so that's just where it stands. Yep, you get all <laughs> credit for how much I hate typing it. <laughs> and as you've already heard, those little dulcet tones is the love of my life, the partner in business and uh, uh, love. Yeah. Nicole Hood. What's up, y'all? Hey. So yeah, this week we are covering... Sunshine, 2007, one of my absolute favorite movies, and Nicole is about to emotionally destroy me, and I'm going to go cry and make soup later. It's what I do. I've, I've emotionally destroyed... <laughs> I've emotionally destroyed so many people. He's choking. It's fine. <laughs> Worth it for the bit. <coughs> oh, that's whiskey in my sinuses. Hi. Babe, you're not supposed to inhale whiskey. Bullshit. <laughs> well. You remember all those weird, like, molecular gastronomy mixologist bullshits that were happening? Like, Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. You yeah, just, like, five, ten years ago. You just brought back, like, a whole wave of, like. Hating every bar I walked into. Well, no. You just brought back, like, a whole wave of imagery to me. Yeah. I remember people trying to sell stuff like that. Uh-huh. It was it was like alcoholic boba or something. Yeah. There oh are my a bunch god. It was ones. such a brief blip of time, Thank but God. But just I do re- Oh my god, I remember that. Um Yeah, it was the first time I'd moved back to Manhattan and I Space alcohol. <laughs> it would be cooler if it were space alcohol, but in fact it's just people being assholes. It was hipster bullshit. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, we are talking about the 2007 Danny Boyle, Alex Garland team up known as Sunshine, mm-hmm. starring so many amazing actors. So many of my favorite actors are in this movie. Yeah, you got Killian Murphy, you got Rose Byrne, you've got Chris Evans, mm-hmm. Benedict Wong, a young Benedict Wong. Yeah. Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've also got uh, Hiroyuki Sanada. Mm-hmm. 
coming back doing his second ever English language film. I didn't even um, I didn't even recognize him. I mean, it was like ten years later than Ring. True. But yeah, for those of you who don't recognize that actor's name, uh, one, you should. He's incredible. He's one of my favorite, 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 favorite actors. But yeah, he was the uh, the ex-husband and father in the original Japanese Ring or Ringu. I don't think I recognize him because they made the actors in this look so disheveled, and mm-hmm. I don't put that lightly. They made they somehow made Chris Evans and Killian Murphy uh, two of the most objectively attractive actors. Um, they don't really do much for me personally, but I do realize that they are objectively attractive. They made they made even them and Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne, yeah. I actually think, is extremely beautiful. Um, and they made everyone on this film look like trash, as mm-hmm. they should have. I mean, yeah. it's... You've it's, been in space for how fucking long? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing as Alien, too. You're not supposed to see these people as, like, glamorous. Mm-mm. You're supposed to see them as very normal, average working people. Yeah. So it's. So it, I think that's one of the, the strongest points for the film for me. And I guess uh, that means we should get into whatever format the show actually has, which is barely any. Um, <laughs> it is yours. So. <laughs> You've seen my notes. They're actually, no, that's not true. My notes are incredibly organized. It's my, like, if. It's what the, you do with the notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I take order and turn it into chaos. I see it as a strength. Not everyone agrees. Well, it's how we balance each other out because I'm like, okay. Your notes look like shit. Yeah. And then you that's turn true. them into order. Mine are immaculate and get turned into chaos. That's true, actually. I never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. We're a little yin yang situation. I, you know, whatever works, right? Just like an avatar with the two koi fish. Cute. The water Very spirit cute. and the moon spirit. But yeah, I'll stop. I'll stop making fun of Toe for now. Nah. It's, it's all fine. out of love. It's fine. It's I'll, all out of love. It's the spice of our relationship, you know? I've got a good amount of whiskey here. I'm fine. I'll be okay. Perfect. I have nothing. I have Cholula. Oh, if you chug that on mic, I will give you a crisp high five. Mm, not worth it. <laughs> Someone doesn't like doing bits. <laughs> <laughs> so you all know what we do here. I know it's been a little while, so I am going to refresh you. And if this is your first one, welcome. Hello, my name is Topher Pridgen. I run with my lovely partner who's here with me today, a little podcast almost network called Horror Babes. We mostly do film review and analysis and discussion from a little different perspective than everybody else. So for those of you returning, thank you so much. And welcome back to Horror or Not. I know we've been away for a minute. Um, you know, coronavirus, don't want to have people in my apartment who I don't regularly breathe the same air as. But it's so nice to be able to do these again, at least in some degree, with my lovely partner. And for those of you who are new to the show, let me just give you a quick little breakdown of what this is. This is the show where we assess films that exist on the borderline between horror or not. It is a little project that uh, I actually came up with even before I had, even before Nicole and I had the idea for this this whole little podcast mini network that we run with a good friend in front of the pod, Matt Reich, after discussing the film Ex Machina and explaining to him why that is in fact a horror film. And you can go listen to that episode. It's one of my favorites. But yeah, what we do here is have a little more freeform discussion of film and genre. Um, this is not about breaking down a film, reviewing a film in the classic analysis way. What we do here is more about really, really trying to dive into 
genre using a specific film as a jumping off point and all of those films yes exist on the borderline between horror or not so welcome back and we love you yay oh and also my name is Topher Bridgen (laughs) exactly very important yeah so I guess we should kind of get into yeah exactly what what little format we do have on this show so what we're going to do today is we're going to go through more of like an exegesis discussion conversation version of things. Uh, we're not going to break down the whole plot. Um, it's not terribly necessary except for the points that we're going to bring up about it. Mm-hmm. And as we do that, we're going to sort of get towards a discussion of this film and whether or not it ought to exist in the grand hard drive canon of horror. And then sort of talk about what that means for the genre at large. Mm-hmm. All right. So... Why don't we guess I just hop in? Um, like yeah, I said, yeah, this excited. is a, yeah. So this is a Danny Boyle, Alex Garland joint. Uh, of obviously Andrew McDonald was also the producer here. He ran all of their projects. Uh, it was Garland's second feature film, which I am going to bring up. I'm only saying that because that's going to be a, a point for me. Okay. <laughs> I am an unapologetic and probably too big of an Alex Garland stan. I think he's my favorite working writer. See, and I exist in a neutral space on him. Right. I, everyone, I mean, well, if you listen to the 28 Days Later um, episode that we did, mm-hmm. I I love half of that movie. I hate the other half. Yeah. And truth be told, I have not seen Ex Machina yet. It's I know. It's high up on my list. It will happen soon, I promise. And okay, I'll, let's watch it tonight. Sure. Sounds great. I'm, I am in. It's a date. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm highly neutral. On Alex Garland. And I understand that. You've you've seen probably his best work, which is Annihilation. I do like Annihilation. You were a big fan of that when we watched it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... But the other two that I've seen, eh. I understand. And it's not... I'm not mad at you for not loving Alex Garland because you haven't... You've only seen half of his best work. I still have yet to watch Devs, which I know I need to do. But he's a... Um, he's a big one for me. And he's actually someone who I wish I could write like... And it's not because I'm trying to. It's because he's someone who understands the way that worlds work in a way that I wish I did. Mm-hmm. There's a big reason I typically don't write sci-fi. As much as I'm a huge, huge fan of the genre, I just don't write sci-fi because I don't. it doesn't click for me the way it does for him. Because he's, he's the kind of sci-fi I want to write. And I just I, it doesn't work for me. Like I'm, I've got a uh, script I've been working on that's a rom-com set in the distant future mm-hmm. it's just it's a space rom-com right but that's soft sci-fi that's star wars right <laughs> yeah uh, star wars meets nancy myers you know definitely so or even just star wars i mean we had we had some romances it's a bit of a rom-com it's funny there's romance yeah. there's action there's things in the way like if you just yeah. read han and leia's story it's basically a rom-com with higher stakes yeah, I don't think you. I don't think you have to mix it with Nancy Myers. I think. I think Star Wars is a good spot. But I do love Nancy Myers. That's fair. And Nora Ephron, even <laughs> though there's people who are on. Uh, there, there's a weird amount of people who come down on hard on one side or the other of that, and like, they're both wonderful women who wrote really dope shit. So shut the fuck up and just enjoy it. People just love to have something to complain about, but that's why we have a podcast. So hey, <laughs> I'm not excluding myself from that club. <laughs> no, 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 neither of us. Um, so yeah, this film is a really cool thing. And I am going to give a quick just overview of what the plot is. I'm not going to do a full beat by beat of it. But I am going to say 
There is a crew aboard a ship called Icarus 2 that is the second iteration of Icarus, which is trying to save the sun from dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one never reported back. It's been seven years. This crew is trying to go and do the same thing that the first one was supposed to do. They find out, they find the first ship, uh, and shit goes sideways. Correct. That's a pretty good synopsis of it, right? Yeah. Shit does go sideways. Cool. <laughs> They in trouble, is what I kept saying last night. <laughs> they, <laughs> they in trouble. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's the tagline of this film. So the first thing I'm going to bring up is that like, this is heavily based on 2001 A Space Odyssey, which mm-hmm. I do want to cover, and I don't know which show we're covering it on. Cool. Because I need to rewatch that film, but it is, an, it is an undertaking. It's like three hours long. The Stanley Kubrick 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah. I It took me two... I actually... That's actually kind of a serendipitous. It's Thanksgiving week here in America. Sure is. The, the US of A. And I watched that film for the first time when I was 19 years old living in Shanghai. Thanksgiving Day. Oh. Yeah. Things come full circle. You know, it takes uh, 11, 12 years for it to happen, but it does. Um, so... This film, yeah, as I was saying, is heavily based on 2001 A Space Odyssey and Alien. Mm-hmm. Um, that is where Alex Garland drew most of his inspiration from this. Also, a film that people may or may not know called Solaris. Yeah, I don't know that one. Yeah, it's a 1972 film, and they did a remake uh, 30 years later in 2002, and it was a bad remake. Got it. I like the original, but um, it's not it's not like everybody's favorite movie, but it's on Trey Tarkovsky, mm-hmm. who I really like. Got it. So I think the stakes here are kind of what matters. Um, mm. And I think these are really interesting sci-fi takes or sci-fi stakes because this is not your typical sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. Not really. So when people say they love sci-fi, they usually don't fall in one of two camps and they're called soft sci-fi and hard sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Soft sci-fi is going to be your space operas. That's going to be Star Wars, the J.J. Abrams versions of Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, your Flash Gordons. Um, and then you have your hard sci-fis where they delve a little bit more into the actual science of things, where they are more concerned with the problems that science brings up. And in that camp, I'm going to put Annihilation. I'm going to put uh, Primer, which is a really, really wonderful movie that I also want to cover. And your other hard sci-fi movies, like I would say like Europa Report, mm-hmm. which uh, definitely falls into the horror sci-fi, but it does do the hard sci-fi thing. Yes. So... And the difference is only like, okay, yeah, focusing on science is the problem or like Asimov is hard sci-fi, right? Yeah. And uh, and George Lucas is, is uh, soft sci-fi. And I don't love that, but space opera, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So this movie definitely falls into the the, the hard sci-fi, right? Like it, the, it cares about the science, even though scientists were like, well, this is completely inaccurate. And Danny Boyle was just like, Dude, it's not a fucking documentary. We were making a movie. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah, and again, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again right now. When you're in a genre like sci-fi or fantasy, people know what they're going in for. They know that they're not watching a documentary. They know all these things. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a moot point to say it's incorrect. It's like, okay, sure, you can... Yes, some people are gullible and will believe everything that's said in movies, but right. that's honestly a little bit on them. It's <laughs> uh, more on them and the American school system, yeah. Yeah, because I think that artists should be free to make whatever circumstances they want, especially if it is under the genre of sci-fi or fantasy. Definitely. 
you were yeah. in their own head. Yeah, you were we, in their dreams. They absolutely. can do whatever they want. Yeah, we've talked about this with like representation, right? They're, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly where we come at it. It's like, oh yeah, duh. You need. There weren't black people in the Middle Ages. One, yeah, there were. There, there <laughs> always have been. Like, excuse me. Like, do you think that? And all over the world, everybody's everywhere. Yes. Yes. So stupid. Yeah. But that's what we're getting at. Yeah. Is that like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, I can have a, you can put a black man in a fantasy setting and you can put anything you want in sci-fi and you can put anything you want in fiction because it's fucking fiction. Yeah. Stop putting creators in a box. Yep. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. So what I, I'm going to go ahead and just. As long like, as they're I, not harming people. Yep. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> that's there we the go. caveat. Yep. So one of the big things I, I think that my biggest argument for this film um, kind of comes from that. The, the, the idea that creators can do what the fuck they want. Mm-hmm. And I think that this was, as I was getting back to that point, I think this is a sort of fresh take on what sci-fi can be. Mm-hmm. So what I love about this film, and this is going to be kind of my thesis statement, I think I should just do that up top. Sure. Is that I think what this film does to make it a horror film, I think what happens in the writing and the direction, is the plot is clearly horror to me. Because the third act is a slasher film, essentially, in 20 minutes. I mean, it, there's, there's clearly like a bunch of slasher tropes and there's literal slashing and all of that, right? Right. And we, we can get to that. Uh, the other part is that I think it does psychological dread in a very, very subtle way that I find incredibly compelling. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, that's the, the broad points I want to hit here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're this isn't going to be like a structured debate format because it's, dumb (laughs) this is a mock trial this is just two friends and lovers and business partners having a conversation exactly but (laughs) you refer to us as lovers that's so gross anyway i'm keeping it in so i think what i want to say is yeah so that's like my big my big points and here's where i'm going to kind of go into that obviously we have this the slasher section in the third act right um for those of you who haven't seen the movie, just go watch it. I'm not going to break down the whole plot for you here. That's not what we do. But the captain of the original Icarus sneaks aboard and sabotages the second Icarus, as he had done with the first one, because mm-hmm. he's gone insane. And I don't mean that in like a, a sort of brush off way. I mean he has literally gone insane. Don't he look has... at the sun. Like our kindergarten teachers were right. Yeah. Like just don't do it. And our current but hopefully <laughs> exiting president is wrong. Oh, my God. When he stared at the eclipse. I'm not going to get into that, but I, I, it I happened. I still haven't gotten over it. It's very funny and very awful. Yes. So the slasher section clearly is a horror section of the movie. That doesn't make it a horror film, but it does make it at least partially one. The other thing I'm going to say, and the biggest point I think I want to make, is that it is a psychological horror film. So the two people who embody that most after Captain Penbaker or Penbacker or whatever you say his name, yeah. who goes actually insane and becomes a... Uh, a Murderer. Yeah. And saboteur. Yeah. Is Searle, the, the ship's doctor and psychologist. Mm-hmm. Played by Cliff Curtis. Wonderful actor. And the other is Captain Kaneda, played by uh, Hiroyuki Sanada. Mm-hmm. The second one is a weird one, and I have, a, I have a whole take on it, but I think he is probably the person who pushes me over the edge that this is a horror film. Okay. So let's talk about Searle. First. Got it. Okay. So, the, again, for those of you who haven't seen this, this movie is a really, really beautiful character study. Uh-huh. It's absolutely an actor's film, right? Mm-hmm. The writing and plotting are beautiful, but it's about the actors because it's all shot tight. It's mm-hmm. until Unless you're looking at the spaceship, everything is a tight shot. Yeah. Which was, of course, done to increase the claustrophobia, and we'll talk a little bit of the little... Mm, 
we will talk a little bit about the cinematography mm-hmm. when it comes to how this is a horror film from my perspective. But Searle, the first shot we get of Icarus 2 is uh, Dr. Searle sitting in the observation room. Yes. Very cool scene. I like this scene. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he's staring at the sun. And it's below 2% exposure. And they are 36 million miles away. Mm-hmm. And he asks the ship's computer, uh, Icarus in this movie, you might remember Mother from the film Alien. Mm-hmm. Same, or very similar roles here. Yeah. So, Searle is looking at the sun and he's so enthralled. Yeah. And he asks to go to 4% from 2. Mm-hmm. And the computer's like, dude, no, that's going to burn your retinas out. Yeah. Um, I could give you 3.1 for 30 seconds with eye coverings. Yeah. So he throws on his aviators and says, give me 3.1. He's obsessed. And it, it, you you get this like almost, um, it's a religious experience, right? Like this definitely feels like an, uh, an elevation point. Yeah. And I want to bring this up just really fast that, and I think this is intentional in this film, is that everyone has their own connection religion belief system and i don't Mm -hmm. mean christian catholic jewish i don't mean any of that i don't mean the traditional sense i mean um we've got our ship doctor and psychologist who's obsessed with the observatory in the sun yeah and then we've got michelle yo who's obsessed with the the garden yeah the garden the o2 lab yeah in the o2 lab and etc i won't go Mm -hmm. through every single one of them but it was intentional because it also telegraphs how they die. Yes. They all die through their religion. And the only person that maybe you could argue doesn't have that is Killian Murphy's character. And I would say he does. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think he does. I think it's absolutely his obsession. And I think you're, I, I actually really love that you brought up the obsession thing. Cause that's actually part of my point yeah. um, is everybody's driven by the thing that they, they respect the most. Mm hmm. To the point of obsession, right? Yeah, in space you go crazy. Yes. <laughs> no one can hear you scream and your brain will not be okay. Yeah. Um, that's actually one of the... Uh, there was a scientist who said a bunch of nasty things about the science of the film, but uh, said that the psychology was actually spot the fuck on. Um, in terms of what your brain goes through being isolated, claustrophobic. I believe it. It's exactly uh, uh, what I would have imagined. Yeah. You know? I mean, this is why we rotate astronauts on the ISS, right? Mm-hmm. It's because that we've we've seen this. This is real. And they're yeah. not that far from Earth, relatively speaking. Pe- they're not humans, 66 million to 98 million miles, you know? Humans can barely stay in their fucking house or apartment for three months to get rid of a virus. Like, uh, Yeah, they, we've clearly seen that we can't even do that to stop a, a rampant, deadly virus. We're obviously... <laughs> not built to be isolated we're like not this. Coop-up-able. no we are not so it's exactly what i would have imagined yeah so yeah i think yeah you're exactly right about the 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 whole you find the one thing that keeps you going mm-hmm. and maybe puts you over the edge so searles is yes the observation room in the sun mm-hmm. and he is the one who gives us a psychological dread because the sun is the very thing that gives us life, but is actually what kills every single character in this movie Mm -hmm. directly or indirectly. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make an argument for that, that the sun is the true villain. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of funny, isn't it? Yeah. 
I, I love that though the juxtaposition of and this is something that Garland is very very good at and it's actually a theme in his work yeah is the two double-edged sword mm-hmm. he uses double-edged sword like very few writers I've seen uh, we saw this in Annihilation right mm-hmm. the very thing that was giving life to one set of beings and generating new kinds of life to one set of being kills all the others yeah it's the the literal physical like physicist definition of Annihilation yeah and I think that's really fucking cool. When Nadia and I talked about that film on uh, a few months ago, mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun because we got actually to go into that and dive into that concept and how cool a concept that is as a writer and as an audience member. I love no, I love that concept, and I think that it's it's always fun to play with. I think it's a gift that we'll keep giving, and mm-hmm. I think it's great. And it's one that he he wields that double edged sword beautifully. Definitely. Um. So. So Searle brings in the double-edged sword. And I think a double-edged sword is a huge, huge part of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that... It, we use it in conflict all the time, but I think that this is a type of conflict that we can make into a horror conflict. Mm-hmm. And that is to say that, yeah, again, the son's a true villain and is also the thing that gives life. And Searle is the only one who kind of gets that. Yeah. I think he's the only one who actually sees clearly through this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's a, that's a beautiful visual metaphor that happens with the film that he is not seeing clearly because he's... Uh, we see him progressively get more and more burned. Mm-hmm. We see like sunburn and peeling all over his face. There's even a really great sort of like mini gore shot where he peels some really gross skin off his head. Yes. So he's the first one and he's probably the most obvious one. He's a, his obsession with the sun is something that kind of like you think is going to be, it's a, it's a misdirect, it's a red herring. It's something you think is going to be the the downfall of this this crew, but it's not. Yeah. Um. Captain Canada is also obsessed mm-hmm. with the sun as the enemy and with figuring out what happened to Icarus one. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a decision point in the film um, as the second Icarus goes into the, uh, the dark zone, yeah, like a radio dark zone. Mm-hmm. They actually managed to pick up a sig- the distress signal from the original Icarus. Yeah. And so a decision has to be made. And that decision is, do we go to the second, the first Icarus and figure out what ha- one figure out what happens two see if there's any uh, crew left alive mm-hmm. and three get the payload that was never delivered yeah and the decision falls to I think the wrong person mm-hmm. in Kappa that's Killian Murphy's physicist character yeah it was the only one who knows how to operate and distribute mm-hmm. and keep stable the giant giant bomb that the ship is carrying yeah so this is where Kanida comes in. Kanida should have said, nope, we stick to the mission. We just go. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. It's not a decision. And even um, the second in command, the, the ship's comm officer. Yeah. Har- Keep your uh, eye on Harvey, the prize. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Says that. He's like, look, we can go find them. But he's the one who throws it to, to Killian Murphy. He says, we're not a democracy. We are going to leave this. Dis- or actually, no, sorry. Scratch that. Hurl- Searle says it. Right. Uh, Harvey and uh, uh, Mace, Chris Evans' character, both mm-hmm. are like, well, we'll take a vote. And uh, the ship's psychologist and doctor, Searle, says, fuck that. No, it's not a democracy. That's not what we do here. We're scientists. We are not mm-hmm. your lay people. This is not a decision to be made by committee. Yeah. This is a decision to be made by the most inborn person to make this decision. Mm-hmm. And that person is our physicist who knows who knows most whether or not the bomb will work or if they're gonna have to send an Icarus 3 yeah so like logically it makes sense but in hindsight it maybe just 
yeah. wasn't the best person. Thing is, this is a military science thing, right? This is NASA. Yeah. And Canada should have said at that moment, fuck that. No, I make these decisions. That's literally why I'm the captain. That's what the captain does. That's my only job. Totally. Totally. <laughs> is to mm-hmm. make decisions for this, this mission. Decisions. Exactly. That's yeah. your, that is the express. That's the job description, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that is that is the end, beginning and end of the job description is make fucking decisions. Yep. And Canada does by not making one. Yeah. And then gets killed for it. And he also has a weird obsession with the sun. Not the same kind that Searle does, but he does. And I think everybody in this film is a saboteur mm-hmm. without realizing they are. Mm-hmm. Um, Cassie, Rose Byrne's character, is it's because she cares too much. She's an emotional saboteur. Yeah. Michelle Yeoh's character, uh, uh, Corazon, which is just a, a, a funny name. Uh, yeah. It, it's a nice little throw of like, they call her Corey, but her name is Corazon, mm-hmm. which of course is, yes. <laughs> so hers is instead of helping everybody fix things when shit starts going sideways she leaves to go take care of her plants and her oxygen tanks mm-hmm. uh Searle should have been keeping everybody mentally stable but is too obsessed with the sun to be able to do that mace is too obsessed with order to allow the chaos of a certain type of mission of any mission to happen yeah and wants to he wants to be the leader but he's not the leader yeah. Uh, Harvey just wants his comm towers to be okay. And he's like, don't do this. Yeah. Everyone's um, got their thing that keeps them going. And like you said, also ultimately kills them. So. Mm-hmm. Benedict Wong is his guilt, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So this is, and I'm going to, now is where I'm going to tie that back in. Because everybody has these obsessions, because everybody has these goals that they individually care about. They fail to be a unit and that becomes a morality play. Yeah. And horror is born from morality plays. It's not always that, mm-hmm. but in this case, it is. Mm-hmm. The horror is not just the fact that there's a slasher film in the third act. It's not just the psychological dread of what's going to happen and mm-hmm. why is the sun evil. Right. It's that people, it's this very, very pessimistic, nihilistic view of people where they can't put the greater good above themselves, even when they're putting the greater good above themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when they say, uh, when they have the vote to kill Trey, uh, Benedict Wong. Yes. Cassie's the only one against it. Exactly. One, she's wrong in that moment. Mm-hmm. She is morally wrong in that moment. I, at least from certain meta-ethical versions of things. It's a, it, they, they present a trolley problem. Mm-hmm. You know, kill one very important person or s- and save three. Mm-hmm. Or kill three and save one important. Yeah. And the answer is clear in this moment. They're not. They, there is no return trip at this point. Yeah. And she still says, "Well, I'm not going to kill him." It's like, "Well, fuck you. That's wrong." Right. Because uh, gonna die anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. The decision's been made. Mm-hmm. They're just moving up the timeline. Yep. <laughs> but if they don't move up the timeline, all of Earth dies. Right. Yeah. So yeah, everybody has their moral feelings. Yeah. Even when they're putting the greater good above, mm-hmm. and it's you know it comes with Mace not being a. a What's Seven Deadly Sins? Um, envy? Lust, envy. envy. Yeah. 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 He wants more than he has. Mm-hmm. He wants, uh, he's not jealous. Jealous is wanting to hold the things you already have. Envy is wanting things you don't have. Mm-hmm. So he wants to be Green the captain. with envy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's Perseverance in this. He, he wants to be the leader, but he clearly shouldn't be. 
gets into physical fights even multiple times just so pent up like what's yeah. going on honey uh you know chris evans is from boston i think he brought a lot that a lot of that to this role mm, thinking so <laughs> and you know kappa fucks up because he says he his whole thing is that he wants the math to be perfect mm-hmm. and because he wants the math to be perfect and it can't be he says well two last chances are better than one see and something interesting that this film also brings up is I fully understand why people were sent to space and Mm -hmm. are still sent to space, but it brings up the idea of should we send people to space to do these missions that, you know, a robot would be less indecisive. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's good versions of that too. That's 2000, that's 2001 in Space Odyssey. That's Hal. Yes. Um, But that's also Mother in Alien. Yes. And I think that... I think that that's something that keeps these space sci-fi movies interesting is obviously the unknown, mm-hmm. and that's why people will watch it. Yeah. But it's also the decision-making. I've been in so many acting classes where and seen so many scenes in a black box, nothing that interesting, no costumes, nothing. It's yeah. just bare acting. The most exciting thing to to see and the most exciting thing and the reason people go to the theater is to watch people make decisions and Absolutely. often make bad decisions and emotional decisions and convoluted decisions and all of these things. That's exactly why we watch even reality TV. That's exactly why we watch like shitty TV. That's why we watch anything. Is you we were watching want... Darcy and Stacy this morning. Love them. <laughs> um, that's why we want. That's why we watch things in person or on television or movies. To a certain point, sure, yeah. And it's just it's 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 a human connection thing. Yeah. So that's what brings up the interesting topic of should we even send emotional beings. Right. Into space to make a decision on the rest of humanity. Deaf, yeah. And it's that's always interesting, but we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have any of the information that we had because we didn't have the technology back when we sent the first man to the moon and all of the, With you know. less than a TI-30, by the way. That's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> We've come a long way, folks. I calculated that uh, barely does algebra. And as much as I'm afraid of robots taking over the world, also, like, if, if, if this imaginary scenario became a real scenario where the sun really was dying and sydney looked like antarctica stockholm actually and, was where they shot that oh well it's supposed to be in australia though right it is yeah in, yeah but, but that's fictionally a, yeah to make the point that it is you're right yeah i was just being dumb and being like <laughs> it's not antarctica it's actually stockholm sorry you scared me i was like wait i thought it was no no they um, shot it in stockholm and it's it. set in sydney got it so if this became a real thing uh, like global warming very much so is but if we come to the catalyst or, or the, come to the come to the head that is this movie i would definitely want robots making the decisions not people yeah 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 there's a lot of problems with that I, I, well maybe not i don't know i don't I have, know i've because... got friends who i have friends from my philosophy days who work on this and they're all kind of divided on whether or not that's a good idea yeah this is something that i'm thinking of on the fly and now i'm like i don't know because it's a tough question because there's more at stake for humans Mm-hmm. I, I think that's honestly the fine point to put on it. You could argue the pros and cons of there being more stakes for humans. Mm-hmm. And so they could make a better decision or they could make a worse decision, a selfish decision, etc. Yeah. So that so, is what's cool about this movie, though. Yeah. So to just sort of bring the fine point home, right? I think what makes this a horror film 
is that it is the morality play of everybody getting in their own way, even when they're doing their damnedest not to. It's a faded sort of film, if uh-huh. that makes sense, right? Yeah. I think that's my strongest argument for being a horror film. We can, we can go into plotting that like it does the beats, the plot beats of a horror film. Mm-hmm. We could go into the slasher in the third act. We could go into claustrophobia and setting and all of that, like the atmo of it being right. horror-esque. Yeah. And inspired by traditional uh, space horror films. But I think the strongest argument is that it's like a bunch of people who, with the best intentions, still turning on each other, still killing each other. I don't care how many people pinbacker kills. Mm-hmm. They're killing each other. Right. Um, I, could, I could go into that more, but we can do that. I want, I want to hear your thoughts. So my thoughts on this is uh, the dread and the morality play doesn't necessarily make it a horror film because you also have in the sci-fi genre dread and morality plays. Not always. No, but you're not wrong there. I'll, I'll, I'll grant that, yeah. So it just do- it, it doesn't make it... It makes it closer to the line, okay. you know, between the two, but I don't think it makes it crossover okay. necessarily. And then we've got the third act which I think is the worst part of the movie. I think it's nonsensical. I think that as as great as Alex Garland is in some parts of his movies, like this happened with 28 Days Later too, it falls apart at the end. It's a great setup. Every single piece of this movie is really nice. Like the, the cinematography, it's beautiful. The acting in it is awesome. The The costuming is amazing. So good, right? That that gold suit, the oh, astronaut God. Yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah. Like, we if we were doing a, a regular Horror Babes episode, I would spend at least five minutes talking about it's that. It's so cool. So every little piece of this movie is done really well, but somehow when it comes together, it's not cohesively a good movie to me. Cool. So I appreciate it, and I appreciate a lot of the people who worked on it because they did their jobs. Mm-hmm. This is, we talked about Carrie, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting for a quick second. Uh, last week we talked about Carrie. Yeah. And how uh, that was a film where no one knew what they were doing. This is the or no one knew. Yeah, no one yeah. knew what the other person was doing. They actually spent months living together, all of the actors in this film. That's cool. And. Uh, it was a. It's one of the only versions of method acting I respect. Is when you put all the actors together when you're going to do a claustrophobic film, mm-hmm. um, where it matters who each character is. Garland gave them a sketch of what they're like. He had his script. Mm-hmm. He did. I think it was either 35 or 45 drafts of this movie. <laughs> right. Um, but that those do include the draft he gave the actors once it was cast. Mm-hmm. And all the drafts that they came up with as actors because they lived together for months and beat out their characters together and discussed who should be what and how and all these things. And so they, there's a lot of really dope interviews with the uh, initial interviews of what the cast members thought they were mm-hmm. and the exit interviews of what the cast members thought they were. Got it. And it's re- it, I, I watched, I mean, um, I own the DVD to this, and Mm -hmm. uh, I've watched those extras for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. More, longer than the film itself, probably three times over. Right. 
Um, but yeah, it's it was a really cool. I think the acting in this is so wonderful, and I think there's a lot of parts of this that are so wonderful because the actors actually were able to work together and collaborate on an experience. Yeah, and I mean back to the dread and morality play. Nobody is arguing these days whether Gravity or Interstellar is a horror film. You know, no, not at all. The, neither, but, and neither is. Yeah, but you've got the morality play and the dread in both of them. So, gravity, I would, I would, I would push back on, but I'm not going to do that here. Um, I want to let you make your point. So back to the third act, though. Yes. I, I think that throwing in the, I think that throwing in the old captain from the other uh, ship. Okay. Is. A cheap idea. Interesting. That was thrown in for a cheap twist. Because we have that moment of Killian Murphy and where he's asking Icarus questions and Icarus mm. is saying, like, oh no, there's there's five people. God, not that's not a great, four. It's a great moment. Well, Sorry. what I'm saying though is that I think though that it doesn't completely make sense, and that's the only reason they put this third act weird horror-esque nonsensical thing in there was for that twist moment and it feels cheap it's a good moment but then when you see where it goes you're kind of like uh you were just looking for a twist because you wanted your sci-fi movie to have a twist speaking of twists this is where you're twisting the knife in my heart i'm sorry i i'm i'm trying to be really objective on this movie i because i don't really think it's good but I'm I'm trying to oh, ow. Sorry. No, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. I'm okay. We're fine. We still love each other. Oh, like sorry. I no, said. It just, hurts. it just hurts. It's fine. It's fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have opinions. God. <sighs> if you if you wanted someone without opinions, I actually I can't find you one. Um, I don't <laughs> we know. We don't surround ourselves with those people. I, yeah, I don't know anyone without opinions. But anybody's ever said I don't care to me is either telling me the truth or someone I don't want to hang out with. Right. So. You're the former, by the way. Got it. <laughs> got it. Good to know where I stand. No, um, you've told me I don't care. And I love when you tell me you don't care because it yeah. tells me where I stand. And that's okay. That's a good thing. That, that's healthy. <laughs> but it hurts right now. <laughs> so all of that being said, all of that being said, again, there are a lot of moving parts in this movie that are good. But the movie as a whole is not. I, aside from the cheap twist that turns into this weird slasher. Mini slasher. Mini slasher. I don't think it needed to be there because we already had a really, a a good sci-fi set up. I just, I, I need it, I need it to end differently. I need, I, I also, I'm not opposed to the idea of a horror film ending with a happy ending mm-hmm. of them succeeding. I actually, I, I like that choice, but with everything else considered, I think that that strays it further away from horror. If okay. it was straight horror and then it ended fine, I'd probably just be like, all right, that's just, you know, in, in, if it isn't... If it was in a different context, and I'd probably be like, all right, like it, we got a horror film with a happy ending. Okay, that's something that people don't usually do. I'm down. Cool. Yeah, fine. Yeah, sure. Great. But with all things considered, I think that strays it further away from the horror film. And and no, it doesn't add, end happily for any of them, but we know that in the middle of the film that they're it's not going to end happily. Yeah, they're going to die. Probably the second act. Yeah. They're going to die. Yeah. So 
I just think that again with Alex Garland, it the 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 back half of the movie just takes a weird turn and then doesn't make sense. It's not cohesive. It's weird. And I I kept obviously this movie throws you right into like oh alien yeah mm-hmm. so obviously Do we even have the fucking dinner scene. Yeah, the second scene of the movie is a dinner scene. Yeah, so it throws you right in to this headspace of alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very bluntly so. And so, of course, I'm immediately sitting there thinking like, oh, well, I'm, I'm so str- I so strongly think that Alien is a horror film. Mm-hmm. But I so strongly think that this isn't. So where do where does this land? And for me, the whole point of Alien, the whole title, the titular character, the alien is the slasher monster I mean, yeah, Alien's a monster film, up and down. Yes. I will never argue that because sci-fi is a setting in that yes. in, in, in that instance, especially. We said that on that episode, yeah. Yeah. And my problem with this one, my problem with letting it into the horror genre for me... That's okay. Yeah, is no. that... This is a show about gatekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I'm not going to tell anyone else what to think. I'm just on here expressing. But totally. My problem with it is that that back half slasher part would be your also strongest claim for it to be a horror film. Your second strongest. You already made your first strongest. Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the most obvious. I don't think it's the strongest. The most obvious. Yes, that's a better way to put it, I think. The fact that it's so out of place and is on, only happens for 20 minutes just makes it feel again like a cheap twist that steers you into tip like dipping your toes into the horror genre it's not even really and i like the gore i like the whole scene where they're pulling like pulling his flesh off like a fucking sleeve that's Ooh, cool yeah oh sorry that's just, visceral. I just that. yep, 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 it's yep. visceral Ooh. it's cool i like that again i'm not saying that parts of this movie aren't good benedict wong's death scene yeah we've got some really good gore and we've got some really good deaths uh, and by good, good is such a weird adjective to use, but we're talking about horror. So, yep. Uh, we're broken people. It's fine. It's fine. I just cannot call this a horror film. I can call it a sci fi thriller adventure, so, some, something else, but horror, it is not for me. Damn. I My heart <laughs> wants it to be a horror film, and my heart reads it as a horror film. Right. My brain knows you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, and you're not wrong about the morality play. I I want to bring that up too. As as much as it doesn't make it like s- put a stamp on it, it's a horror film. It doesn't. It, it gets it closer to the line, like I said. Yeah. So I'm gonna make a quick apology. Okay. Not for me. <laughs> for Alex Garland. Okay. This is his second feature screenplay. Right. And he worked damn hard on it. I'm and not saying respect. you didn't. I have, like, I have no, 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 the no, I'm, utmost... not, I'm not accusing you of anything here. I'm, I'm, I'm just making an apology for him, right? This is, I have this is... the utmost respect for Alex Garland. I think that he is wonderful at world building. I think he is wonderful at characterization. I think he is wonderful at so, 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 so many things. But I just think that we need to get some sort of editor or script supervisor in here to be like, nope, don't take that left turn. Don't take that left turn because it's where he always screws up. And it's where it... It's I, where he stops screwing up. After, and I think Boyle is the problem. And this is, uh, this is not you. a... Yeah, I really do. 
This was um, their last one that they did together. It is, yeah. Because after this, he did uh, Ex Machina six years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is when Boyle stopped doing cool movies. <laughs> Got it. Because, what, the next uh, in the next two years, he did Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, And I... finally won his fucking Oscar, but at what cost? A t- Terrible movie. That's my yeah. Hot take for I, this. Didn't, I didn't. I didn't like that movie is not either. A good movie. It was Oof. fine. I didn't like it that much though. But I Which also I think it's where Jenny Boyle stopped being a good director and Alice Garland started being a good writer. Gotcha. That's when they split up. I think they were so important to each other and they needed those. Yeah, it's films like that together. friendship that comes along and or that yeah. business partner that comes along that teaches you a whole lot, but you notice when it's not serving you anymore and you let it go. Yeah. I I also want to point out that this is one of the movies that Chris Evans says defensively in interviews that people haven't seen my good movies. He's so good in this. No, he is. And <laughs> Sorry, that's just me yelling. That's me yelling. It's just <laughs> funny that it's it's just a funny little trivia fact that yeah. he he'll say that he'll say that in in interviews and he'll talk be talking about this movie when he says that. Yeah. And he is he is great. I like I said, great all death of, scene too. He the, dies really well. Yeah, he's we very never good see at him it. die on. This is the, uh, I've seen him die on screen twice. Once in Scott Pilgrim and one in this. Yeah, and he's a good good. Uh, he's a good dyer. Good dyer. Yeah, uh, he perishes well. <laughs> <laughs> he goes gently into that good night. <laughs> oh my! How, how how many ways <laughs> can we say? How many ways can we say he he's good at dying? But. Like I said, all of the moving parts in this film are good, but it just does not come together. It's fine. You're breaking my heart, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I have tape. It's it's totally I fine. It's totally fine. But yeah, that's kind of that's kind of all I have to say about this. It, it's it just it isn't. Okay, so then um, we should do the third part of this podcast. Sure. What does it mean for horror at large? And 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 like you know what Premrock and mm-hmm. I have done uh, and what other guests and I have done what do we do like we, we can do two things here and I'm not saying it's an either or I'm saying it's an inclusive or we don't okay. have to do both but we could do both okay we can punch it up and we can talk about what it means for horror and I'm actually interested in both because I think they are kind of uh, coextensive here Right. Not always. They're not. That's not always the case why sometimes on the show we choose one or the other like how do you make it a horror film right or how do you make it more explicitly a horror film? Or what does it mean for the culture at large? Right. And I think the I, I have an idea, but I want to hear yours first about how because I, I think they're coextensive is what I'm saying. Is that I, I think they go together and I think you have to do both here. Got it. Okay. So Or at least it's beneficial to do both. Right. So in order to punch this up to make it cross the line into horror, for me that's the that's the yeah. Yeah. question, right? Yeah. Okay. What do you change? Yeah. What do I change? So I think if alien weren't a thing, then you go the alien route. Sure. Don't go the alien route, though, because you're already... Attack. You're, yeah. y- y- it becomes a karaoke cover at that point. Yep. Uh, so I'm not going to go that route of saying you have to have the monster in it the entire time, or at mm-hmm. least the, the idea of the monster the entire time. So I'm going to go closer to the Blair Witch Project route and say... That this is another obvious claustrophobic circumstance where if you punched it up and made... I'm smiling because I love this analysis. I'm sorry. They can't see it. I'm just really (laughs) excited about the way you're fucking talking about this It's just distracting. No, I'm just like, I couldn't stop myself from grinning. I was trying to cover my mouth because I was grinning so hard because I love what you're doing here because I love you so much. I love the way your brain works. So fucking talk. (laughs) 
Shut the fuck up and fucking talk. Okay, so, all right, fine. It's all staying in. Such a silly Grinch. You look like the Grinch. I don't smile well. I just look like a serial killer. It's fine. (laughs) Why do you think I smirk and flip people off when I want to tell them I love them? Because you have severe defense mechanisms. <laughs> wow. Okay. The whiskey glass was empty. This must be full fucking again. I'm not saying I don't. I'm not and I'm not saying you're wrong for it. <laughs> the Foley work. If I'd been anything in this industry other than a director or writer, I would have been a Foley editor. It's my favorite thing. ASMR. I think it's so it's ASMR. It's ASMR. Oh god. Okay, so um, back to my point. Back to the blood. Maybe? <laughs> back to the farm. Um, Something. Who cares? Who um, knows? We love each other. So I would take this the Blair Witch Project route yes. where you are in a claustrophobic situation. You are in your own head. And also above and beyond that, you are in the unknown. Mm. You are also willingly in the unknown, which which adds a layer of of guilt and regret to this psychological mind fuck here. So you've got you've got people who have been crammed in a spaceship together having to make very stressful insane decisions and it's and it's crazy that the decision goes from it, it's it's never been about life or death like the Blair Witch project right. truly is but it's still a stressful situation and emotions are involved. And I would just go further with that. I would love to see, um, because you started talking about it, obviously with the morality play that, that even that people can be inherently emotionally selfish in a way. And it's, it is nihilistic to think about it, um, to see people that way. But I kind of, I would want to see more of the trapped feeling and more of what that does to people and more of what that makes people do to each other mm. in such stressful situations. And yeah, it would, it would, I think it would push it further towards like a psychological thriller, which I think is synonymous with horror a lot of the times. Like, I don't necessarily. Yeah, it, we've talked about that on this podcast. It's not a distinct genre. It's, it's a, a flavor of It's a of weird horror. one. Yeah, it's it's, it's it, kind of a. There's one or two that don't fall into horror that are such psychological agreed. thrillers. Truly. Rebecca. Yeah, agree. Rebecca's not a horror film. Yes. It's horrifying, but it's not a horror film. Yeah. We've talked about that. We talked about it when we talked about The Lodge. Like, that's it, it is absolutely a truly psychological thriller yeah. film. And it's yeah. one of like five in all of history. <laughs> yeah. And so what I think that what I just said means for the genre yeah. and this movie as a whole is the genre sci-fi feeds that want that that yearning to learn about the unknown and put ourselves in these situations. And how would how would someone like me react? How would, you know, how would I be in space? We want to live vicariously through that and see different worlds. And, but in horror, horror feeds off of, or at least a lot of the sub-genres feed off of, what if I was in this situation and it went wrong? Yeah. And I think, I think that with the turn that I was talking about, the Blair Witch turn, it would just bring it home for people and make them, make the characters 
make you hate the characters, but you would hate them and have that strong response because you would see yourself in them. Mm-hmm. And you would see like how crazy and and you would you would have that morality play in your own head of like would I have done that or would am I am I that type of person right. that's crazy what they just did. But if I was in that similar situation, I don't know if I would have done differently. And what does that say about me? So, and that's a horrifying oh, that's thought so in good. itself. God damn it. I'm so, so bummed. Mine's going to suck. <laughs> no, stop. It's not. But that's, that's, where, that's where I think we land on this. And I think that, I think that it's, if you're going to do... I'm putting a blanket statement to not put a blanket statement on it. Like sure. obviously, like sure. I said up top, creators can do whatever they want as long as they're not. Of course, yeah. Harming no, 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 one, no one's reining anybody in here. We're just no. giving notes. <laughs> I'm saying if you are trying to make a crossover, a sci-fi horror film, and it's and you're wanting to go hard in the paint on the sci-fi, yeah, make something personal. Make something Oof. just like pierce, pierce through something that would just hurt us right yeah put us in that situation where we're questioning whether we're good people or not and that's what's going to stick with people and that's what's going to have that that's what's going to create that dread without you even trying oh a hundred percent yeah no it's just that's all atmo yeah and i know that that's uh, one of your big things i mean you uh, you're an incredible actor and you tend to gravitate towards strong performances when you say something's good or not but also you really 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 go for tone poems if they're good yeah i think you have a soft spot for tone poems and that's what you just built yeah it's a is a is a it's the lodge but in space uh without right. the gaslighting right and i don't well, and no one's hammered out details we're not I'm not, I don't love The Lodge and I don't, what was the, oh, I'm the pretty thing that lives in that. That's the worst tone poem I've ever seen. Oh my God, it's so bad. Uh, (laughs) It's the worst thing ever. Uh, No, no. Uh, But no, I think if it's. Man of Santa Fate still exists. I think if it's done well, it. Birdemic exists. And Thanks Killing is probably the worst movie ever made. Yeah, fair. That or Song of the South. Um, Sorry. I, but you're not wrong. I mean, if a tone poem is done really well, I think it does. I think it does a lot for mm-hmm. for for film in general because it, it you always leave there asking questions and it's a it's a conversation starter. Um, it's a it's all of these things and also it just makes you it 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 forces you to think. And that yeah. is why I like them. But that that's we're we're getting off track here. No, no, uh, no, no, no. This is this is all on everything's on track on the show, babe. Fair, fair. <laughs> Nothing is ever on track on, on this show. I'm trying not to be uh, so type A. Unclench. You got a big booty. Un- unclench it. Oh my god. Okay, so that's really that's you can get really that what you always wanted. Oh my god. <laughs> so that's really what I had to say um, regarding that question. Cool. I love that, and it's. Um, probably better than mine which is a little embarrassing in that i'm the writer of the relationship but uh here you are showing me up so we both agreed the slasher part goes away right because mm-hmm. you either make it all that or you make it none of that and yeah. if you make it all that you're 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 bordering on alien or like friday the 13th in space yeah maybe halloween if you like actually we'll say definitely halloween because danny boyle and alex Garland are both very good at their jobs mm-hmm 
I like Danny Boyle less. Train Spotting's probably still his best film. Right. Train Spotting's incredible. We can't deny that. Yeah, I won't um, deny that. He's a good director. Their brief relationship just didn't land as well as it should have, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we're saying. Yeah. Now that we've covered the two films they did together, that it's just sort of like, oh yeah, y'all did. Y'all were really good in Iron Sharpens Iron way. Right. But. You never got sharp enough until you left each other. I think that's the perfect way to put it. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. I mean, again, Boyle won his Oscar literally right after this. Yeah, yeah. Um, Iron Sharp Iron. Which I also don't think he deserved it for. I think he deserved it for Sunshine. Right. I don't think he deserved it for Slumdog. But. Right. Because um, the direction on the film was really good. Mm-hmm. It's not Garland's best work, but I love it. That's fine. So getting past that, we both get rid of the slasher. Yeah. Mine becomes more supernatural. Cool. I love a supernatural sci-fi. Cool, um, yeah. I, you, you know, during quarantine, I was reading, um, or just before and then during, I was uh, finishing, reading and then finishing the uh, the fifth season. Yes. Or the, the, the Stone Sky trilogy, I think is what it's actually called. N.K. Jemisin's uh, beautiful, beautiful Hugo and Saturn award-winning trilogy. Yes, I remember you staring at your phone for hours, and I was like, what are you doing? And you're like, I'm reading. And I was like, oh my god, you've been reading for hours. Yeah, yes, it's really good and really engaging. Without spoiling too, too, too much, I think it's even in the first chapter, uh, the Earth is considered the enemy in those books. Mm-hmm. That's what I want from this, but with the sun. And I want it to go a little supernatural. I kind of want the sun to be an entity. Okay. Without being fully... Like cheesy? Yeah, obviously yeah. not cheesy, yeah. right? So we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and say this is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Written by somebody much much more competent than I am. Um, I think what I really want this movie to be, and every time I watch it, I I pray that it's gonna change to this mm-hmm. that we focus on the sun's shit mm-hmm. because there's a suggestion that the sun is kind of sentient, mm-hmm. at least somewhat conscious. Uh, we see that from a couple different characters. Yeah. Pinbacker refers to it as God. Searle gets pretty fucking close to yeah. referring to it as God. And they, um, there's a great interview with Cliff Curtis where he talks about how he developed Searle's character. Mm-hmm. And it was after he'd read Pinbacker's character. And he was like, oh, I'm going to do that, but good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't mean, I don't mean good in like a, a acting way or like a writing way. I mean that in a moral way. Yeah. Well, way. in the, in the worship. Searle sacrifices himself. But yeah. he does it to see the sun at full strength. Because he can't do it on the Icarus 2. But the Icarus 1, everybody on there was dead from staring into the sun at full strength from 15 feet away. And he's like, I want to feel that power. Yeah. And <laughs> and one could argue that this, I mean, the sun is a god to them. It's, it's, it's worth the worship because it does give, it gives life, which is... One of the definitions of someone's God. Let's be honest. The sun is a God to all of us. It, I, I don't, I, it gives life. I am a hardcore, I am a devout atheist. One word. <laughs> photosynthesis. Bitch, I tried. <laughs> you see me in the park every summer? That's what I'm saying. Is it, it gives, it literally gives us life. Yeah. So it makes sense. And the worship and the God thing. It's a plant-based life. Even more so. Oh my God, yeah. So... I, I definitely think that no matter how devout an atheist you are, and I very much so am one, um, I don't believe in any woo shit, any god shit. The sun is the closest thing I would refer to as a god. Yeah. In in that sense. 
because it both it is uh, we'll say i'm a polytheist when it comes to physics <laughs> there's biology or i'm a polytheist when it comes to life there's biology there's chemistry there's electricity there's the sun mm-hmm. there's at least four gods in this pantheon Right. If we're going to look at it that way. And this film asks us to look at that way, look at it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's my version of the horror film. Right. Is uh, uh, the misgivings of an angry god. Yeah. I think the sun is an angry god in this. Yeah. Uh, or at least like a Loki type. It should be an angry god because we've treated this planet like crap. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, so that's that's my version. Like, yeah. I think you can fill in the gaps from there. I don't really need to go into it too hard. Yeah. But what I think it gives us is like a cool sci-fi supernatural crossover while yeah. still keeping it quote-unquote hard sci-fi, even though a bunch of scientists shat all over this movie. I yeah. think it's a good science movie. Yeah. Well, and it hints and at the fiction. allegory. Yeah, and I think that that's a good thing to do. And like um, one of my favorite scientists, uh, who's a popular person, mm-hmm. Brian Cox. Mm-hmm was a direct consultant on this film. Um, you probably know his name. Um, he's probably the sexiest physicist. Amazing. Actually, no, scratch that. My friend Andrew is the sexiest physicist I ever met. And Jack. They're both very hot. Um, but Brian Cox is the most is the sexiest in the public eye. Got it. Uh, and I say that because he looks exactly like Killian Murphy. Fair. So I'm going to show you a photo of Brian Cox right now. And you're going to say, oh, he's not that cute. But think of him in context of Killian Murphy, and then tell me what you think of him. So, like, a little evil? Killian Murphy was cast to look like him, right? Yeah, I could see that for sure. They've they've got the same, like, bone structure and everything. Those high cheekbones, skinny chin, he, eyes. He's definitely not not my type, but if, if, if one of my friends was like, oh, yeah, I'm dating this guy, let me introduce you to him, I wouldn't be like, girl, run. Exactly. I, I would right? just be like, yeah, he's he's, he's objectively attractive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bad haircut, but those yeah. are fixable. Exactly. So, yeah. He's also a physicist. So like, great. I'll show you pictures of Andrew and Jack, who I used to be in a band with as well. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I. Uh, I'm yeah. not trying to be shallow here, but you did show me a picture of someone. So. I was being shallow. You were just going along with my shallow. Got it. Um. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. So I. I <laughs> Where do we land? Is it is it horror or not? Like we we that's the answer we're that's the answer we're supposed to give to our our wonderful beautiful babes who constitute our audience. I so here's here's where I stand. Is a horror film could be a better one. I stand. It's not a horror film. Period. You you're probably right. I'm I'm actually going to concede to you. Um, I think I'll I'll try and be a good journalist or an analyst or whatever the fuck i'm supposed to be called here podcaster critic, critic. let's go with critic <laughs> i'm just a podcast because everyone's a critic right um yep. no i'm not just a podcaster oh my god okay i'm a podcaster with a microphone <laughs> wow so he's got money well i had 40 bucks laying around yeah good day to bar you know true so yeah you're right you're right it's not it's so close i mean that's why we that's why we do these films right they're yeah. always close. yeah we're never there's gonna, never like there's never a satisfying answer i'm not trying to bring Gili here and say it's a horror film although uh, what well okay <laughs> okay i will not i really want to talk about Gili at some point on some microphone that goes out into the world because i actually really like Gili. 
Um, I've never even seen it, but I guess to make my point more is the as much as I want to talk, movie, but I love it. As much as I want to talk for hours and days and months and years about the wedding singer, I'm not <laughs> going to try to spin it and tell y'all that it's a horror film it's because not. Yeah. it's not. So obviously, this one toes the line somewhere, or we wouldn't even be sitting here today talking about it. Right. So, but it's not a horror film. It is not, period. All right. For me. I, I am I am um I am dragging my feet. But you're right. It's not. It is, but only in the third act. Because the third act actually subverts the first and second act. It's a better horror film and it's a strong horror film in the first and second acts. And then it fucks up by trying to be one. It's weird. Yeah. Um, there's a really good article on Bloody Disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, big, we're both big fans of the site. We've read so many reviews we'll from them. We'll link this one, obviously. Yeah, and we've linked a bunch of them before. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a great site. I'm a big fan of them. Hire us. <laughs> we, would <laughs> love to, we would love to write some op-eds. What's up? We got hot takes because we're horror babes. Um, but there's a really, really good article called, Is it bad for a movie to, quote unquote, devolve into a slasher? Um, and it makes a really good argument for this film and a few others, mm-hmm. but um, I, it's what I came into for my research. Uh, it's what I came into this episode with for my research, and I, I wish I agreed with it more. Um, but you've convinced me. It's not a horror film. Okay. It's two different horror films rolled into one that actually makes it not one. Well, thank you for having me here today. You're welcome. I'm supposed to say thank you for being here today. And you're welcome for being here. Uh, wait, no. Hold on. <laughs> we're both thanked and we're both feeling welcomed. Thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Thank. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. Ew. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. So um, this is the part where I do the plug zone, the P zone, the uh, uh, put all those plugs in your in your ears and your butts and et cetera. Um, where can people find you and what are you working on? I'm working on absolutely nothing. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the my entire career is shut down, so I'm really truly just also fuck you. It's singing in my my own apartment studio. Uh, that's literally it. But and also I spend a lot of time working on this. So, uh, but if you want to follow me for is this not your career? It's part of it for okay, sure. Then. Um. So you're already following this. Thank you so much for the support. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram to see fun New York photos and probably photos of my new cat, Marceline. She's so amazing. I just got her a couple days ago. Marceline She's Playground, the vampire queen. Exactly. So if you want if you want to see uh, future cute black panther cat pics, uh, follow She's me. The best. Uh, at Nicole Lee Hood. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-L-E-I-G-H-H-O-O-D. And I'm the same on pretty much all platforms, mm-hmm. uh, Twitter, everything like that. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Oh, yeah. TikTok as well. I'm a new TikToker. And you're doing great. Thank you. I really love yours. Oh, thank you. Even though I wrote some of them. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's like you're there. <laughs> um, you can follow me at Tofaloaf on all social medias. Um, I'm not on Facebook because I deleted that shit years ago, but I am T-O-P- H A L O A P H. Yep. On all social media platforms. That is TikTok. That is Twitter. That is Instagram. That is. 
probably something else. I've probably got some other social media account I never check. Yeah. Um, and you can follow us and this show at Horror Babes Pod on Twitter, at Horror Babes Podcast on Instagram, at HorrorBabesPod.com. And we love you. Bye, babes. But that's not what we do here. So fuck you. This is not a horror movie. And I'm really sad about it. Deuces. Bye. <laughs>